but we're winning this race. I really believe we're winning. Keep up the good work. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the intertubes. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, if not you. From Bradblog.com, thank you for uh, thank you for joining us. In a moment, the uh, the fight for control of the U.S. Senate. Yes, originally it looked like it was going to be a very very good year for Democrats in the Senate, with Republicans needing to defend a whole bunch of seats this year, thanks to their big victories six years ago, back in 2010, in that Tea Party wave year in response to uh, Barack Obama's election two years earlier in 2008. Then, more recently, it began looking much less likely the Democrats were going to get the needed pickups uh, to take the to at least retake, I should say, the uh, the majority in the U.S. Senate. But now, with Donald Trump's continuing decline in the polls since the release of that uh, Access Hollywood videotape and the parade of sexual harassment accusers who have stepped forward since the chances for Democrats taking the uh, majority in the U.S. Senate are beginning to look better and better. It is still slim, but it is start looking uh, is starting to look much better once again for at least a narrow Democratic majority and perhaps larger than a narrow majority, depending on uh, some of the uh, numbers that we continue to see today from early voting and absentee voting, uh, the turnout numbers, in other words. So uh, we'll have... Uh, more on that uh, momentarily. We'll speak with someone who follows these numbers very closely uh, in a moment. But let me uh, say hello to Desi Doyen. Hello. Who, uh, survived another weekend <laughs> with uh, what? Just uh, just two weeks left. It's I all know. Over. It's, it's the all longest over. two weeks ever. The longest two weeks indeed. Uh, by the way, 
uh, if you'd like to participate in what will happen two weeks from uh, this uh, today, tomorrow, wherever you're listening. Um, you need to register to vote if you haven't done so already. There's a most of the uh, deadlines have already passed in a whole bunch of the states. But today, for example, for my peeps out here in California, if you're still listening uh, tonight, midnight tonight, October 24, that's the deadline uh, for eligible California citizens to register to vote for the first time or to update their voter registration information uh, for the November 8 general election. You can go to registertovote.ca.gov. Out here in California, the most populous state in the union. Uh, you should also, by the way, check, and this is true in California and everywhere else, check your voter registration. I know we keep saying that over and over again. But trust me, I think there will be enough surprises on Election Day. Uh, you needn't be one of them. Find out. Make sure you're still registered as you think you are with the name that you think you're registered under at the address uh, that you think you're registered under where you live and so forth. Uh, you can do that uh, online in, in most states. I don't know if all or not, but in most states uh, that have a, a, a statewide registration database, you can check it or your county, uh, call your county clerk, your county registrar to check and make sure if you're unsure. And also make yeah. sure that you have the right kind of ID if you are in a state that requires a very narrow type of specific photo ID for you to be able to vote. Which is going to be very difficult. I also want to tell people learn what your, uh, you know, your ID laws are in your states. But those are changing. And as we've seen this year uh, in Republican states where they've passed these photo ID restrictions, many of them have been softened by the courts. But the states are sort of ignoring the courts and doing what they want. So know your rights. Learn the law. I know that, but um, I haven't checked it. But I think I back in uh, 2014, I believe Google had something where you could type in voter uh, voter ID California or voter ID Texas. Your state, yeah, yeah, and you would get the the laws. So you might want to do that. Uh, in any event, other than uh, California, also uh, Alabama, Iowa, South Dakota. Uh, are facing uh, voter registration deadlines today, uh, later this week. Uh, Nebraska, Wyoming, New Hampshire, Iowa, Colorado, Washington, Connecticut, uh, Utah, uh, Vermont. A lot of uh, so some of those states also have same day registration, but uh, play it safe. Register now if you want to participate in all the fun. And boy, howdy, is it fun. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a couple of uh, we've been talking about the the big turnout. So far, the early indications are that there is big turnout for this election and big Democratic turnout specifically for this election. We've got uh, we saw huge lines at the polling places in Georgia on the first couple of days of early uh, early voting last week. That's good news for for turnout numbers. Bad news. Shameful news, embarrassing news, frankly, that voters are forced to wait two, three, four hours to cast their vote, whether it's early voting or on Election Day. Nonetheless, it's an indication, as far as we can tell, that Democratic turnout is looking pretty good. And we've got some more indicators of that today. Hillary Clinton now leads Donald Trump by more than 20 points in a poll of North Carolina early voters. That, according to 
the public policy polling, which is a uh, Democratic-leaning firm, but they find that 63, 63% of those who say they voted early back Clinton, while just 37% say they voted for Trump, 63 to 37 Amazing. Uh, less than half of a percent say they voted for Libertarian uh, nominee Gary Johnson in North Carolina. I'm not sure if Jill Stein is on the ballot in North Carolina or not. Uh, the results, uh, these are different than the uh, official early vote count that we've been reporting as far as if it's Democrats showing up or Republicans showing up. This is an actual poll that relies on people who are self-reporting whether they have already voted and for whom they voted. And right now they're saying 63 to 37, they voted for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump in the uh, in the early results so far in the early voting in North Carolina, which is, of course, a crucial swing state that went to Barack Obama very narrowly back in 20, uh, 2008 and then uh, swung to Mitt Romney in 2012. More good news for Democrats, according to the uh, PPP poll uh, in North Carolina. Democratic Senate hopeful Deborah Ross is ahead of the incumbent Republican Senator Richard Burr by uh, 52 to 34, again, relying on those early voting numbers. And if you believe the people that they voted early and who it is that they voted for, 52 to 34 in favor of the Democratic Senate uh, uh, nominee there. And uh, in the gubernatorial race, Desi Doyen, one I know you've been looking at very closely with your good friend, Governor Pat McCrory, uh, <laughs> out there in... Uh, the former CEO of Duke Energy, of Duke responsible Energy. for so much coal pollution across North Carolina. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, yeah you'd like him. Don't, don't hold back. <laughs> uh, he is uh, now losing, according to this same poll, these same numbers, to Roy Cooper, the uh, gubernatorial nominee, the uh, Democratic gubernatorial nominee, 61 to 33. So uh, those are the early numbers in all of those uh, uh, races that I just mentioned, however, in North Carolina across all likely voters. The races are pretty much in a statistical dead heat still. So that's only going from those are just early uh, indications, early numbers, early tea leaves we're trying to read. Meanwhile, early tea leaves out in Nevada, which will be very, very important to control of the U.S. Senate at the very least, if not the presidential race as well. Uh, some early voting numbers there as uh, early voting just began over the weekend in the great state of Nevada. And according to John Ralston, uh, the early voting this this as of this morning, uh, Democrats are outpacing Republicans as far as who is voting in the early vote. Fifty two percent to twenty nine percent. That's a lot of enthusiasm. Again, huge. Yeah. Uh, huge. Huge. Uh, if you include absentee ballots, uh, it's uh, along with the early voting, it's a 50 percent Democrat to 32 percent Republican. But remember, Nevada is a number one, another one of those very, very close battleground states. Early indications are huge numbers for Democrats. Now, will reporting this news get the Republicans uh, out uh, to the polls? Maybe. Uh, do Democrats think they need to get there earlier than Republicans do, you know, to to battle voter suppression and everything else? Maybe. So we don't want to take too much of this, too much from this. But this is what we are, are reading in. Uh, John Ralston reports that the Clark County numbers, that's the largest county in uh, Nevada. They are disastrous, he says, for Republicans. 
Um, 31,000 votes cast total, 16,000 of them to Democrats, just over 9,000 of them to Republicans. He says that is 52% to 29%. Democrats are nine points above what they are registered as in the states. In other words, the actual registration in the state is 43 to 29 uh, Democrats, 43, 43% Demo- registered Democrats in Nevada to 29% who are registered Republican. And yet Democrats are nine points above their registration levels in Nevada, at least according to these early numbers, which he describes as a very blue wave so far. And Republicans have to be worried. So we will see. We will see how worried they are. In the meantime, uh, Donald Trump thinks all is going well, He, uh, despite those numbers. Oh, by the way, in Florida, that's right, one more I missed in Florida. 133,000 Latinos apparently have already cast ballots in the state of Florida, a 99% increase, 99% increase over 2012 in the state of Florida. That is, however, according to the Hillary Clinton campaign and a conference call today. So not looking good for uh, Republicans in Florida either, if you believe these early numbers. Nonetheless, Donald Trump is not worried. He's not worried about those numbers. He's not worried about the polls that show him uh, losing. He says those polls are phony and they are only serving to suppress the vote. This is part of the crooked system. It's part of the rigged system that I've been talking about since I entered the race. I understand it. It's a rigged system. They put out phony polls, Wall Street Journal, Always. I've never had. I, I was I thought I was going to lose South Carolina in the primaries. They came out with a poll that was so bad. And I actually skipped a certain amount of work in other locations in order to stay there. And I end up winning in a landslide. Uh, these are what they call them dark polls. They are phony polls put out by phony media. And I'll tell you what, all of us are affected by this stuff. And what they do is they try and suppress the vote. This way people don't go out and vote. But we're winning this race. I really believe we're winning. So Donald Trump is winning. He really believes we're winning. He says Wall Street Journal, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, uh, who also owns Fox News, that Wall Street Journal is putting out phony polls to somehow uh, beat Donald Trump. And by the way, that is what uh, you remember Mitt Romney. Remember the skewed polls from 2012? All of his Romney supporters said those polls were skewed as well. That's the line he's playing, although he ought to tell his uh, campaign manager, Kelly Conway, about it because she was on uh, Meet the Press, I think, uh, over the weekend. And she admitted, yeah, uh, we are behind in the polls. Hillary Clinton has some advantages. Uh, but never mind what Kelly. Uh, Kelly, she's just she's part of the, the scheme. The she's, phony media yeah. with the phony polls. Yes. Donald <laughs> Trump's campaign manager is, is part. He's in on uh, she's in on it as well. Just listen to Donald Trump. They are winning. But never mind the presidential race uh, for one blessed moment. Let's uh, let's talk about the U.S. Senate and the outlook outlook for Democrats there. Will Hillary Clinton and her apparently very big early uh, voting turnout results have coattails for the U.S. Senate? By the way, what about the U.S. House and the many gubernatorial races around the country? We will talk about all of that and much more straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. 
Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Well, unless you believe Donald Trump, and what's not to believe about him, frankly? Uh, Hillary Clinton continues to open up a wide lead across the nation and in battleground states in the race for the White House. But... But, as we try to mention every now and again on the broadcast, the uh, the presidential race, despite all of the coverage that it has sucked up in the media this year for some odd reason, including on this uh, this program, that presidential race is not the only contest on the ballot this year. If Hillary Clinton is to win the presidency, she will need, at the very least, a Democratic majority U.S. Senate if there is to be any chance of moving a democratic agenda forward, much less a progressive agenda. And, uh, of course, if Republicans are to block that agenda, while there is still the undemocratic, unconstitutional Senate filibuster that they can use in many cases, they would... They would prefer to hold on to the majority that they have enjoyed during much of the Obama administration. But uh, the Republicans have a lot of seats to defend this year in order to do it. And those chances of them hanging on to the majority may be slipping away along with Donald Trump's poll numbers. As AP notes over the weekend, Republicans are fighting to hold their majority while defending far more seats in Democratic-leaning states. The current party breakdown is uh, of in the U.S. Senate is 54 Republicans to 44 Democrats and two independents who caucus with the Democrats. That would be uh, Angus King and uh, uh, and Bernie Sanders, of course. So essentially, it's uh, 54 to 46 in favor of the Republicans currently. But now uh, there are a lot of seats, a lot of Republican seats on the ballot. Twenty four Republican held seats in all 10 Democratic held seats. So to take the majority in the U.S. Senate, Democrats need a net gain of four seats. They need to pick up four Republican seats if Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, as the vice president would uh, break the tie in that case. That would be 50-50. They need to pick up five. Democrats need to pick up five currently uh, Republican-controlled seats if Republican Donald Trump 
is elected president. So the last time that the Senate was tied 50-50, by the way, was in the year uh, of President George W. Bush's uh, first first year of his presidency with Vice President Dick Cheney breaking the ties, you may recall. The Democrats' odds of hitting 50 seats or more have risen to 66%, according to the Analysts at Daily Coast Elections that, as uh, Daily Coast Elections editor David Jarman today writes, is the highest they've been all cycle long. The previous high was 62 percent in the uh, in mid in mid August. The predictive model at 538.com shows a very similar probability for Democrats regaining control of the U.S. Senate this year, about 65 percent chance as they see it. Joining us now to discuss the odds of a U.S. Senate takeover by Democrats and, if we're lucky, maybe even some talk about the chances for Dems in the uh, House and in the gubernatorial races around the country is David Jarman, who follows this stuff and the numbers and the math very, very closely every day, even while many of us are distracted by the insanity of this year's presidential race. David uh, Jarman is the contributing editor for Daily Coast Elections, where he writes about the places where elections and demographics overlap, as well as about the site's predictive models for all of the above. David Jarman, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, so before we get into the uh, specifics, what is Daily Coast Elections? You you guys are not pollsters, right? But more like 538.com, where you aggregate those polls and then base predictions on them? That's right. Um uh, we were originally Swing State Project, which was an entirely separate blog. We mm-hmm. were um, absorbed by the great Orange Satan in <laughs> 2011, and um, you have to be careful. Sort of you have to be careful, David, about who the great Orange Satan mm-hmm. is this year. So you mean Daily Coast, not Donald Trump? In not this Donald case. Trump. Okay. All right. Go not ahead. Not the giant orange Oompa Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> so what we do is we're sort of the quantitative side mm-hmm. of Daily Coast. And uh, the key part of that this year is the predictive model. But we also um, do more qualitative analysis of where we feel the chances are in the Senate mm-hmm. and the House, looking at it race by race and uh, doing sort of the old-fashioned scouting approach of saying, well, this is a toss-up, this is mm-hmm. lean Democratic, that kind of thing. So we do both, and we also compile a lot of the data that um, eludes other people about where the ad dollars are going, what um, the... Mm-hmm. What the um, uh, topics of the ads are just um, mm-hmm. the, every poll we um, uh, col- we collect those in our, our daily digest, which I urge uh, your listeners to check out at Daily Coast Elections. And and, and does that uh, is that predictive? Like where uh, the various parties and the various races are spending money is that predictive as far as whether the uh, the Democrats in a particular Senate race can win? We see an increase in money being spent there. Is that included in your model uh, that predicts things like uh, Democratic takeover of this uh, potential of Democratic takeover of the Senate? It's not in our quantitative model. That mm-hmm. is polls only. Okay. It's, uh, there's really no special sauce to the, the Senate model. Okay. There is a little special sauce in our presidential model, but we just use the uh, economic and historic fundamentals. Okay. Um, primarily, whether there's a, an incumbent or it's an open seat, how long the party in power has been in power, mm-hmm. um, presidential approval, and uh, economic data. 
That's all. That's basically the only special sauce that we have. Now, uh, by way of a full disclosure here, Daily Coast is is very partisan in and of itself. They're a Democratic uh, favoring website. They're supporting the Democrat, uh, the election of Democrats. And I should say not even necessarily progressive Democrats, but just Democrats in general as a whole. Is that is that correct? Would that be a proper way to? Yeah, that's that's a fair characterization. Uh, The most important thing is simply to have a majority, because whether... um, if you're going to enact anything progressive, first you have to have Democratic leaders in place in the Senate and the House. And and how do you deal with uh, data, since since you guys are very partisan, how do you deal with data that does not reflect well on Democrats? Can voters who may not be sympathetic to Democrats actually trust your analysis, or, or, or is it as well in some way partisan, the, the model that you guys use for your predictions? Well, again, we're looking purely at the poll data, so mm-hmm. if the pollsters themselves are um, screwing up or have their mm-hmm. thumb on the scale or something like that, that could affect the, our bottom line, but we aren't adding anything to the bottom line that affects that, that would reflect on our partisan status. Now, before we get to the to the U.S. Senate and, and maybe even a quick look at the situation for the House and some of the governor's race, if time allows, you, you currently place the presidential race at a seven. Uh, I'm sorry, a 95 percent probability that Hillary Clinton will win. Now, I note that uh, 538.com puts the odds of a Clinton victory around 85 percent. Why are you guys more optimistic than than 538, and what is your prediction based on uh, that, 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 you know, adds that extra 10%? And by the way, how would that 5% chance of Donald Trump winning actually come about as, as you see it? Well, the likeliest scenario would be that he would have to win Florida, Ohio, Nevada, um, Iowa, mm-hmm. and of course North Carolina, which Obama didn't win in 2012. And then the final building block, and that would be to win Colorado. But um, except for Iowa, which mm-hmm. we feel um, Trump still has a small advantage in, all of those states are um, leaning in the Democratic direction, and Colorado is um, way past leaning at this point. Uh, we have, a, I believe, a 98% odds of Clinton winning Colorado, and that's actually worse than her odds in Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, Virginia, and any of the other states that would theoretically get Trump over the 270 mark. Any idea why you guys are slightly uh, more, uh, or I I guess I should say less conservative than 538, who only puts it around 85%? Any idea where Um, those numbers come from? It's a very technical explanation, but what's happening at 538 is they tend to correlate the states together more tightly, so they have more scenarios Hmm. where um, either Trump is winning blue states Mm -hmm. or Clinton is winning red states. We, we, ours are more, I guess you'd say they deviate towards the, the norm a little more. Okay. They tend to be more tightly clustered. Now, That's I, just a, a, method, a method choice that they make a little differently from we do in terms of how closely related the state's behavior and and I've been wondering about this uh, at 5:38 as well. Does your model at Daily Coast uh, and and do you know if theirs uh, takes into account things that could change the actual election results from the predictive pre-election polls, such as, for example, the voter suppression laws and the tactics and the the dirty tricks and so forth that have been enacted in a bunch of Republican-controlled states this year. Does do, do these models uh, take any of that into account in any way? Um, we don't, and I don't believe 538 does either, and that that's kind of an unknown unknown. It's mm. hard to put a 
put a number okay. on it. You have to assume that likely voter models that the pollsters are creating um, actually involve likely voters who will be able to follow through mm. on voting. So, in other words, you're counting on the polls, uh, the pollsters' models. Hopefully, when they decide a likely what makes up a likely voter, they've already considered. The difficulty, for example, that Democratic-leaning voters may have uh, being able to cast a vote at all this year uh, due to yeah. photo ID laws and so forth. I got gotcha. you. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to the Senate here, uh, David Jarman. Uh, as, as, as mentioned, Democrats need to pick up four seats, presuming Hillary Clinton wins, to have a 50-50 Senate, which they would uh, control because of Vice President Tim Kaine breaking uh, the tie uh, in the Senate as the president of the Senate. If they can pick up five, they'll control the chamber outright. So late last week at Daily Coast, in a post headlined, these three states will decide control of the Senate. You identified the states that will determine who uh, who ultimately wins the majority. And you noted that Dems need to pick up, uh, let's see, two out of three of those states in order to do so. One out of three to tie at 50-50, if I recall. But before we identify those three states that you, David Jarman, predict uh, it'll all come down to, uh, let, let's talk about those uh, the races that you believe Dems will actually pick up from Republicans before we even get to those three states. There are three states that you believe must be won by Democrats and likely will. That would be Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana. Uh, if we could run right. through those three states, yeah. Um, well, like I was starting to say, for, it's a pretty easy walk to 49. It's getting to 50, which is the mm-hmm. where, it's, where the hike starts to get a lot steeper. But in Illinois, um, it's it's a blue enough state that even though there's an incumbent Republican there, Mark, Mark Kirk, mm-hmm. he was barely elected in 2010, uh, again, with the help of a, a big wave at that point. He's running against Tammy Duckworth this year, who's mm-hmm. a uh, U.S. representative and a, a combat veteran who um, lost both... Uh, legs mm-hmm. in the Gulf War, um, so she has an uh, appealing image, and mm-hmm. um, I, she's actually the likeliest right now of the three must-win races to you, uh, to be a Democratic victory. You have her up at the ninety-five percent odds of winning. She's uh, polling essentially about uh, looks like eight points ahead of uh, Mark Kirk. Uh, so yeah, she's she's winning by nearly double digits now. In Indiana, you've got uh, former Senator Evan Bayh, a, uh, a rather conservative corporatist Democrat, uh, up against Congressman Todd Young. And in the same year that uh, Mike Pence, the vice presidential candidate, is on the Republican ticket. And yet uh, you see Evan Bayh, the Democrat, uh, beating Todd Young? Yeah, he's um, led in every poll that we've seen other than, um, I believe, one or two in, uh, Republican internal polls, which have seen it tied or maybe a one-point advantage for young but uh, um when a buy first announced he, uh, a bunch of polls had him up by double digits often close to 20 mm. and that's fallen off a bit as republicans have engaged the race they've uh, spent a lot of money on ads trying to boost young's name recognition and that's worked to a certain extent it's, it's a it's a red state so the the baseline would tend to favor young and Young is pulled within maybe mid-single digits, but Bai is still leading pretty consistently. 
And that would be to replace the retiring uh, uh, senator, Republican Senator Dan Coats. Uh, That's and, right. And then uh, the third one, uh, Wisconsin. So you basically, Illinois and Indiana, you think are going to the Dems. And then the third one is Wisconsin, uh, okay. for another former senator uh, running again in that state. Yeah, sort of the polar opposite of, of um, Evan Bayh and the former Russ Feingold, who right. was one of the most progressive members of the Senate prior to his loss in 2010. And he's seeking to... Uh, take on the guy who defeated him, rather surprisingly, in 2010, who is Ron Johnson. And you've got and the... Ron Johnson yeah. has, um, even though he's in Wisconsin, which is a narrowly blue state, he's um, had a very conservative voting record. He's um, acting more like he represents uh, Oklahoma, for instance, than mm. Wisconsin. He's in the top, or I should say, bottom ten in terms of uh, ideological record. And you've got the odds at 91% that Russ Feingold returns to the Senate, which I would, of course, love to see. So that's Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. So the Democrats have to win those three. You believe they will. And then before we get to the three key races, you identify three what you call reach races. Uh, in other words, these are states that the, uh, the Daily Coast model considers Democrats less likely to pick up uh, than Republicans at this point, but that are still winnable, as your model sees it, I guess. Uh, Florida, right. Missouri, and North Carolina? That's correct. G run through those uh, those three races, if you don't mind. And, um, well, yeah. in Florida, we originally had Marco Rubio giving up the seat in order to run for president, mm -hmm. but the Republicans, after Rubio's presidential bid uh, collapsed, they were able to entice him back into the race. He's facing uh, Representative Patrick Murphy, who um, you might know from having defeated Alan West mm -hmm. in the 2012 election. He's, he's had a pretty moderate record. He's in one of the few seats in the House that, were, that was run, won by Mitt Romney in 2012. And um, he's... Uh, raised a lot of money, but um, Rubio has the, the name recognition and enough support among Latinos that uh, since Rubio got back in the race, he's, he's led pretty consistently. But the leads are getting smaller and smaller. Um, oh. There was even a poll recently this week that had the race tied, and a few others that were where he was down around two or four. So it's getting closer. Mm. Clinton coattails might be able to get him over the top. And uh, I know a lot of Democrats are not uh, crazy about Patrick Murphy. He's a former Republican. I think he's he's probably seen sort of like an Evan Bayh in Indiana as uh, much sure. more conservative. Hard to get excited about, I, I suspect, for a lot of progressives. Um, and uh, currently you have the odds of, of him winning at, at just about 14 percent. But as you say, that's changing, and uh, there's a you know big turnout looks like all over the country that we've been talking about, and mm -hmm. that could have an effect, obviously, in Florida. All right, the Missouri race uh, that has um, the current Democratic Secretary of State Jason Kander, mm -hmm. very young. I guess he's about the same age as Murphy. They're both in their uh, early thirties. Really? He's a former um, military service member, and uh, again presents a. a favorable image for a state like Missouri. He's up against uh, Roy Blunt, mm -hmm. who's uh, very much an insidery Chamber of Commerce type Republican who uh, was elected in 2010 and is up for his first re-election, but he was in the House of Representatives for many years before that, so he's sort of a long-time Beltway fixture. You uh, had the odds only about 34 percent for uh, the Democrat winning in Missouri. Interestingly enough, apparently his Kander's numbers have gone way up in my old uh, home state of Missouri after he ran a spot <laughs> showing uh, an ad showing himself blindfolded 
putting together an uh, an AR-15 or something. Is that is that what that was? Did you have, yeah, did you exactly. That? And that that was a terrific ad that really uh, moved the numbers and put that that race on the map. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, all right, North Carolina. Very quickly, uh, Senator Richard Burr, uh, the incumbent senator uh, against an ACLU attorney, Deborah Ross, and we've seen okay. North Carolina is one of those states that we have seen so far big, big early Democratic turnout. Right. Um, Florida, too. Uh, the early voting numbers we've seen just today in Florida are very encouraging. Mm-hmm. But it's been going on a little longer in North Carolina, and the number is very encouraging there, too. It's another state that the demographics are starting to move in our direction, not just in terms of becoming more diverse, but also more uh, college-educated whites moving into the state from, say, the Northeast. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why it's moved, say, ahead of Ohio on the, on the totem pole okay. at the presidential level. And the coattails seem to be spilling over, but... Again, it's very close. I think the majority of polls have Ross down a few points. Mm-hmm. The question is whether the coattails can get her over the top. Okay, so y- your math uh, doesn't even include, essentially, those uh, those what you call reach states, Florida, Missouri, and North Carolina. You're looking at the original ones we mentioned, Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. Uh, and then we get to what you describe as the must-win states, or at least the, the, that, it's, the, yeah. the, the that it's all going to come down to. Uh, yeah, the big three sort of pivot points. Yeah. Which, uh, like you said, are New Hampshire, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. And what do we have to look forward to in Nevada, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania? And you would think, by the way, with Pennsylvania reportedly doing so well, uh, Democrats there, or Hillary Clinton at least, doing so well in Pennsylvania, uh, d- you would think that the Democratic uh, Senate nominee would, would be way ahead of the uh, Republican uh, senator there, no? Um, yeah, you would think, um, especially since Toomey, Pat Toomey is the incumbent. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what's happened is that he's been able to um, sort of burnish his moderate credentials in terms of social issues, especially on uh, gun safety, but he's very conservative on financial issues. That kind of gets swept under the carpet, though. He used to be the president of the Club for Growth, for instance, which is a pretty hard-line mm-hmm. uh, advocacy group. Um, but, yeah, it's a question of how far... Clinton's coattails can take Katie McGinty, who's our nominee there. She hasn't been elected to uh, office before, so I think she came into the race with uh, lower name recognition than you might want, but Mm -hmm. between the coattails and a lot of outside spending, she's been able to make it very competitive. And um, we're we're seeing a lot of polls that have her up by a few points, a lot of polls that have her down, so the odds are very close to 50-50 right now. And uh, again, of these three states, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, and Nevada, the Democrats only have to pick up one to have a tie Senate. If Hillary wins, then they control the, the, the U.S. Senate, even with that tie. So, okay, well, we need, we need yeah. I want to amend that, because we need two of those, because Nevada is already a Democratic-held seat. Ah. So either we, if we lose Nevada, we need to pick up both Nevada, uh, New Hampshire and Pennsylvania to compensate for the loss of Nevada. Nevada is where Harry Reid is retiring. And uh, the Democratic Attorney General, Catherine Cortez Masto, is mm-hmm. running to replace him. Until very recently, about a week ago, she consistently trailed in the polls. She's running against Representative Joe Heck, who's uh, sort of moderate from the Las Vegas suburbs. Mm-hmm. And, um, but what's happened is that um, Heck is one of the few Republicans who really distanced himself from Trump after the uh, uh, lewd videotape mm-hmm. surfaced that whole fiasco, and um, that seems to have actually hurt heck with um, the har- hardcore Trump supporters mm. who are uh, now not supporting him in the race. I don't know if they'll be leaving that line blank or what, but um, 
his mm. support seems to have fallen off considerably since then. Or it might just be coattails, again, that are helping pull Cortez Masto. Well, yeah, I was going to say, we, we've got some numbers uh, some numbers today from the early voting, from the first two days of early voting in Nevada, and Democrats are really out, hugely out, bigly uh, outpacing uh, uh, Republicans in Nevada. I, is there a uh, is there a metric to determine the chances of of wins sort of at the senatorial level b- simply based on presidential race uh, a, a turnout? So do the odds of Democrats winning their Senate races in those states increase by some number along with the uh, the turnout at the presidential level? Is there any Metric At there? a very general level, yes, but I couldn't pin down a hard and fast number because some candidates are more appealing and uh, likelier to start out um, like they don't need as big a coattail. Mm-hmm. So um, Catherine Cortez Masto, I hate to say it, is kind of anonymous, mm. so I don't know if she really has the innate appeal that would let her win without being pulled over the top and then there's new hampshire uh that's the third of your three states nevada new hampshire pennsylvania uh the uh, the three senate races there kelly ayotte versus governor maggie hassan Mm -hmm. this thing has gone back and forth and back and forth over the past few months yes right now that's the best uh of the three really big ones that's our best odds we're at a 65 percent probability today of Mm. uh our democratic nominee maggie hassan the current democratic governor of new hampshire uh winning um with Cortez Masto, again, like I said, she's consistently led in the last couple of weeks, but we have her odds at 55%, uh, largely because of smaller poll margins. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hassan's odds really just shot up in the last couple of days because there was a University of New Hampshire poll that gave her a nine-point lead over the incumbent. In New Hampshire? A nine-point lead in New Hampshire? Yes. yes. Wow. Uh, okay, so... Uh, that, which is still less than Clinton was leading by but um, clearly she's um, being pulled along by Clinton, but also she's strong enough in her own right to mount a really strong challenge to I and, and how solid, when you put the numbers, uh, David Jarman, at, uh, what was it, 65% um, of, of the uh, Democrats taking over the majority, how, how solid is that? How, how easily do those numbers, does that predictive number change at this late in the game? Uh, it's, you know, if, to me, when you say 65%, that seems, oh, a little bit more than 50-50. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, but it's not. It's obviously less than 95. <laughs> There's still a definitely a sense it could go either way, especially okay. since you have only a few moving parts and um, there are races where we're seeing um, All right. results on both sides of the 50-50 mark. So it's hardly a done deal. It's not what I'd call a slam dunk or even an easy jump shot. Up for it. grabs. Are there any other uh, sort of wild cards out there other than those uh, sort of nine races we identified? Any other uh, surprises that could happen uh, that you're keeping an eye on over at Daily Coast? In well, the um, beyond those nine, probably the next best opportunity is Arizona, where uh, John McCain is running for probably one last term. Um, he's up against Democratic Representative Ann Kirkpatrick, who mm-hmm. was a good get, but I think she got into the race thinking that um, a sort of renegade right-wing state senator named Kelly Ward was going to knock John McCain off in the Republican primary, mm-hmm. and she did not. So it, now she's up against McCain, who has broader support in the general uh, election. And that could actually happen? You think that he could actually lose that race in uh, in Arizona, John McCain? Um 
Well, things would have to go seriously haywire at this point, but <laughs> she is close enough in the polls, maybe down 8 or 10 on aggregate, that it's within the realm of possibility. We give her 4% odds right now. Not good odds. All right, I'm speaking, yeah. I'm speaking with uh, David Jarman, the uh, editor at Daily Coast Elections. Uh, all of these Senate races, really, uh, even though you see the odds, you know, 95 percent, 96 percent, they're still very, very close races. They're still, you know, within single digits in, in many cases. I, I mentioned right. how, a, how a President Clinton would need a Democratic majority to have a chance at moving a, 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 her agenda forward. But for those Democratic-leaning folks uh, who may not like Hillary Clinton for whatever reason, uh, you know, some of the still angry Bernie Sanders supporters, et cetera, out there on a policy level for progressives, whether they like Clinton or not, how important is it is a Senate majority to the progressive agenda that folks like Senator Sanders and Senate uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren have been calling for? I mean, you also have, you know, Republicans still have the filibuster in many cases. So how important is that? large majority and a cushion to that majority, uh, you know, as you see it, rather than a bare 50-50. Yeah, the cushion is important from two angles. One, it keeps, um, if it's truly 50-50, that puts Joe Manchin probably in the driver's seat, who's the Democratic senator from West Virginia, probably the most conservative member of the Democratic caucus. Mm -hmm. If we push it up to 51, then um, he's not calling the shots. It's still going to be someone pretty centrist, like maybe... Claire McCaskill mm -hmm. or uh, John Tester would be more like the, mm -hmm. the pivot point. But the higher we can bump that up, the less the uh, more, most centrist members of the caucus are able to uh, gum up the works. And uh, the other thing is that in 2018, we're going to be facing uh, not just a midterm where Democrats tend to do worse, but um, defending some seats like uh, mm -hmm. North Dakota, Heidi Heitkamp, um, Joe Donnelly in Indiana that are going to be tough to hold and we're likely to lose seats. So if we don't build up a margin now, it's likely we would just give the Senate back in 2018. So as many seats as there are uh, that Republicans are having to defend this year, there's going to be a similar amount that Democrats are going to have to defend just two years from now. Right. I don't think it's quite as stark because right now this is the class of 2010 that's up and that was um, quite the the tea, tea party happen. year. Yeah. 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 The tea party year. All right. We, we've got just a, another minute or two here, uh, David. Um, there have been lots of talk lately uh, about the possibility of Democrats retaking the U.S. House, not just the Senate, but the U.S. House majority in the wake of a Clinton landslide. They'd have to pick up, I think it's like 31 seats to do it. That seems unthinkable, frankly, but does the Daily Coast model have a projection on how many seats the Democrats are currently expected to pick up and, and the chances for a Democratic takeover of the U.S. House? We don't have a way of calculating it the same way that we do with the Senate because we don't see enough polling data about the House, but what you can do is use a national poll number called the generic House ballot to sort of generalize how many seats you're going to take. And mm -hmm. I'd say right now, based on that, um, we're seeing Democratic leads of about five points, five to six points on just the question of which party do you plan to vote for mm -hmm. in your, your, your House election. Mm -hmm. That generalizes to between a 15 and 20 seat pickup, which is good and uh, pretty big by historical standards, but doesn't take you to 30.
And, well, but it does take you, if, if, if you're talking about 15 or 20 seat pickup, uh, it, it takes you to a point where Paul Ryan, as the Speaker of the House, uh, as you note uh, over the weekend at Daily Coast, David, it, it, the Speaker is traditionally selected by a majority of votes in the U.S. House. So what are the chances if there's a big Democratic pickup, if not a majority, but a, a, a bunch of seats that that could actually derail Paul Ryan's chances of being selected uh, once again, as speaker, given the fact that many in his own caucus don't like him, the, the, you know, the so-called yes. Freedom Caucus, is there a chance of that happening? I believe there is. I think we're likely to see um, chaos in the speaker election in January if we do wind up in that 15 to 20 seat zone, because, uh, as, as you were saying, Paul Ryan ends up needing to depend on the Freedom Caucus for the votes to become speaker, and they aren't going to be on board with that. I don't know whether they plan to have someone else or what, or if they just plan to keep doing the vote over and over again. <laughs> Is that what happens? If they can't select, they just keep holding votes for the House Speaker? Yeah, historically that's happened in the past. It has taken dozens of ballots to elect a Speaker. And the perhaps the ideal scenario would be some sort of... Uh, we, we've seen this in state legislatures sometimes, where minority Democrats plus a rump of moderate Republicans wind up, even though even whether the Republican majority overall managed to elect a moderate Republican as the speaker, and uh, they pursue a more centrist agenda based on that. So, you so can, yeah. hypothetically that could happen. I'm not counting on it, but I'm saying that is one possible outcome. So you could actually have Democrats working with a few, a, a small number of Republicans to elect the next Republican uh, U.S. House Speaker. If the speaker vote fails enough times, they might. Uh, I'm, yes, I'm saying the the the, mod, the most moderate ten to fifteen Republicans might peel off at that point. That's wow, a possible outcome. Wow. Well, I guess we could use some more drama this year. Uh, yeah. Very quickly, David. Uh, the, uh, the uh, a couple of you in the uh, gubernatorial race. We don't have time to go through them, but uh, you see a potential pickup of uh, two uh, two seats for Democrats in uh, governors' mansions around the country. Yes, we're actually on track to pick up a couple seats. One is North Carolina, where um, Pat incumbent McCrory has mm -hmm. um, had a terrible time in the wake of HB2, right. which really destroyed his carefully cultivated image. The anti and the other is in Indiana. Yeah, go ahead. The other is in Indiana, where um, Mike Pence's dropping out means that his um, little-known lieutenant governor had to fill in at the last minute. And uh, he's um, trailing John Gregg, who actually ran a close race against Mike Pence in 2012. That's actually kind of incredible, isn't it, that the uh, the sitting governor could uh, get, get on the ticket as the vice presidential uh, uh, nominee for the Republicans, and then his replacement ends up losing the gubernatorial race? Is, is, there a, is there a precedent for that? That strikes me as extraordinary. Yeah, it would be very unusual, but... Um I think Pence knew what he was doing because he needed to bail out because he was at risk of, of losing that race himself. He's not particularly popular either in the wake of uh, Indiana's own anti-gay legislation. So he was likely going to lose that had he not... Uh, had I he wouldn't say likely, but uh, yeah. definitely at risk. 
Wow. Uh, this year is going to be, well, continues to be amazing. Uh, David Jarman, really appreciate your help uh, sorting all of this out, and we'll see how your predictions work out and if the Democrats okay, take over the uh, the U.S. Uh, Senate. Uh, check out uh, David Jarman's work, of course, at elections.dailycoast.com. And, uh, David, I think on the Twitters, is it Decoast Elections? Um, yes, I believe so. Okay. We'll check that out and make sure we're right. All right. Uh, Daily Coast uh, editor of uh, elections, David Jarman. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Hold on to me as we go. Hold on to As something. we roll down this unfamiliar road. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Desi Doyen, you had mentioned, uh, I, and I, I wanted to bring this up earlier when we were talking about reading the tea leaves, the early turnout in states like Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, that appears to be Nevada, that appears to be huge for Democrats. Uh, you mentioned your home state of Texas and your dad went out for early yes, voting. Yes, uh, my dad emailed me. He said he went out for the first day of early voting in Texas, where he lives in Austin, and he was shocked. He said 150 people or so in line for early voting on the first day. And he said the majority of them, the vast majority, were under the age of 30. Now, we shouldn't be uh, completely surprised by that because it's uh, Austin. Yeah, which Austin is, very... is a university town. He does mm -hmm. live near the university. So there is that aspect of it. But that's the first time he has seen such turnout at early voting really? at all, ever. Huh. Interesting. And uh, the fact that they are young, you would think would bode well for uh, for the Democrats and for Hillary Clinton, think. although they could also be, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters who are still angry, who want to go out and, and vote for third a party. third party or right. vote against Hillary in some other way. Uh, speaking of which, Senator Bernie Sanders says he is not bothered by the harsh criticism that is found in the emails that were stolen from uh, Hillary Clinton and being released. Uh, on really a daily basis now by WikiLeaks coming from uh, the uh, campaign Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, John Podesta. Despite those uh, emails in which Clinton advisors called Bernie Sanders a, quote, doofus, among other remarks, uh, Sanders is uh, apparently shrugging it off. He told Washington Post in an interview published today, he said, trust me, if they went into our emails, I suppose, which may happen, who knows, I'm sure there would be uh, statements that would be less than flattering about, you know, the Clinton staff. That's what happens <laughs> in campaigns, he says. 
Uh, the uh, the uh, emails, uh, there was references to Sanders' health care proposal as, uh, quote, it sucks. Um, someone else uh, called him a, well, I can't even say that, an effort. <laughs> uh, and other messages show the Clinton campaign as exceedingly calculating with multiple advisors weighing the political pros and cons of various, uh, various policy proposals. The way they work is very, very different than the way we work, Sanders told The Post. We did not have a committee deciding what kind of jokes I would be telling the way they do politics, he says, is very different. He says, was I shocked to find out that the DNC was partial toward Clinton? Not exactly. That's something we knew from day one. <laughs> so that was uh, Bernie Sanders today speaking about those emails. And by the way, you know, we, we've covered them where they are, uh, I, I, I think, of news value. For example, her speeches that were given in these these private speeches that she has refused to release. Um but I'm exceedingly uncomfortable with the idea of releasing people's private emails like that online. Uh, you know, I, I without question, any regard for their their personal their personal lives or well, the personal information being revealed that is not political and is not newsworthy. Uh, yeah, and even I don't even if it is newsworthy, I guess you get to a point where you ask what is uh, newsworthy. I mean, Colin Powell they had hacked Colin Powell's email, and where it related to uh, Hillary Clinton's use of an email server and his email recommending that uh, she, you know, use a private email account. That seems newsworthy. But his opinions about all of these other things, we didn't cover that because I think people have the right to, uh, you know, say whatever the hell they want in their personal emails. And that is true in a campaign. Uh, Hillary Clinton's or, you know, as long as they're not talking about breaking the law, if it doesn't reveal something that uh, is truly of public interest and not just purient interest uh, to see how, you know, campaigns talk about each other behind closed doors. Yeah, a lot of it feels like junior high gossip. Ooh, look what they said about Bernie. It. That nah, doesn't really strike me as being that useful. And uh, well, and Bernie Sanders agrees with you uh, very quickly here before we get out. Uh, if Donald Trump is president, he says he would like to make some changes to the First Amendment. He uh, did an interview with uh, CBS's Miami uh, affiliate uh, today, or at least it was released today. And he said that uh, he, he believes the, uh, the First Amendment provides a too many, too much, too much protection for those of us in the media. Do you think that there's too much protection allowed in the First Amendment? Well, in England, they have a system where you can actually sue if somebody says something wrong. Uh, our press is allowed to say whatever they want and they can get away with it. And I think we should go to a system where if they if they do something wrong, I'm a big believer, tremendous believer in freedom of the press. <laughs> Nobody believes it's stronger than me. But if they make terrible, terrible mistakes, and those mistakes are made on purpose to injure people, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about anybody else, then yes, I think they should be, uh, you should have the ability to sue them. Well, and actually, as it turns out, you do have the ability to what? sue them. Yes, and Donald Trump has recently threatened to sue the New York Times uh, for the uh, reports uh, of, of, of women who say they were harassed by him, sexually harassed by him. Um you have that right. And in fact, what he's talking about, you know, if you can show that they did uh, that, they got something wrong and they did it on purpose. That is defamation. That is libel. You can you can go ahead and sue. You don't need to change the First Amendment to do that. Other than that, he's a tremendous believer of uh, a freedom of the press. As long as the press, I guess, is saying stuff that he likes them to say. Exactly. 
Nobody believes it's stronger than me, he said. Uh, didn't he also say back in the debate that nobody is a greater supporter of women than me? No one respects women more than he does, there he you said. Go. All right. I believe him. I don't see why we shouldn't. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, to my guest today, David Jarman of Daily Coast Elections, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com or over at iTunes or your favorite uh, podcast site. Try to uh, say some nice words about us. Uh, give us a good review when you can. It makes it a little bit easier for everyone else to find us as well. My thanks also to those of you who help us keep doing what it is that we do here by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to support our work. Thank you very much for that. If you'd like to drop me an email, I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And I'm on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. Had some fun Twitter fights over the weekend, too. You can go check those out as well. All right. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.